Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, it is vote night in America. What is on the line for Canada? Ontario reports another record spike in COVID-19 cases on a day when MPs in Ottawa debate supports for small business and workers and making the web giant pay. The Minister of Canadian Heritage will be here to discuss his new proposals aimed at generating another $800 million a year for Canadian content. But we'll begin tonight with the U.S. elections. What many consider the most consequential election of a lifetime in the United States is being decided, although it may not be over tonight. The polarizing COVID campaign in the U.S. has come to an end, and voters will choose four more years of Donald Trump or choose a new direction with Joe Biden. Either choice will have consequences, too, for the Canada-U.S. relationship, which has been marked by tension and trade fights under President Trump. Today, the Prime Minister and opposition leaders were asked about the U.S. vote tonight and what to watch for. Obviously, elections matter, uh, and we will watch uh, the results of this one. But uh, Canada is well-positioned and ready uh, to continue to work with the American people and the American government, uh, regardless of the outcomes of, of tonight. As Prime Minister, I will work very closely with whomever the Americans choose to be their president, the Americans are a very close and important ally. It's important for the Prime Minister to find common ground and in the best interests of our citizens and to try to work together on, on issues. I will do that regardless of who the President is. Yes, it is important for the world to say very clearly, I've said very clearly, I, I think it would be better for the world if Trump loses and I hope he loses today. So what's on the line for Canada tonight and what should we expect once the winner is declared, whenever that is? Scotty Greenwood is the CEO of the Canadian American Business Council and a partner with Crestview Strategy in Washington. She is also a former chief of staff at the U.S. Embassy in Ottawa. And Colin Robertson is vice president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and a former Canadian diplomat in Washington. It's good to see both of you. Thanks for uh, speaking with me. Now, Scotty, let me start with you. Lots of uncertainty over the election outcome and lots of uncertainty about what the results could mean for Canada. Canadian politicians, for the most part, very careful in their comments leading up to tonight. If we don't have a clear winner tonight, what would your advice be to Canadian government officials uh, and how they should respond if there's a long delay in the results? Well, Peter, Canada has been playing it exactly right uh, up until now, which is to be invisible and silent as to the U.S. election. Obviously, there's no foreign government or foreign person that uh, can have any influence or should have any influence in what Americans decide and uh, shouldn't profess to have a view about one way about what the outcome is. So Canada's been playing it exactly right up until now, and I think we'll have to continue to exert that discipline during the period of votes being counted and votes being certified because as you said uh, this could take some time there are there are an historic number of votes that were cast early but won't be started uh, the counting won't begin until later tonight or or even in the days that follow so we're going to have um, several days I think of uncertainty and Canada should keep doing what it's doing which is to be uh, virtually silent uh, during this process Call and I will say not all not all governments are doing that there's mm -hmm. a lot of 
talk about other uh, embassies and foreign governments that are expressing a preference, and that's um, obviously not the, not the right way to go. Right. Uh, Colin, the Canadian government uh, of the time faced a long delay in the results, uh, as did Americans, in the, in the Bush-Gore election 20 years ago. Zipped lips was the order of the day in this country until a winner was determined, but that was a civil resolution in the end. Donald Trump has refused to commit to a peaceful transfer of power if he loses. So if it gets nasty, how should Canada respond or should it? I think uh, they, we wait until January 20th to see what, who the new administration is. In the meantime, as Scotty says, keep calm and prepare for whatever contingency. We have such vital interests that we, we do not want to prejudge what's going to happen. You know, you know, Peter, I happened to be in Ottawa uh, in 2000 uh, in the Clinton administration, and uh, Ambassador Giffen, who I worked for, right. uh, had an election watch party at his residence uh, that night. And, you know, uh, at about three in the morning, it was like, well, at what point do we have to actually start kicking people out? Like, this thing could take a while. And it's a good thing we finally did, uh, you know, have people go home. Uh, because you know, they Scott, if, if, you invite Canadians to, if you invite Canadians to stay over, they'll stay for as long as it takes. They would <laughs> stayed for a week still, which it was before you got an answer. It was it was a crazy time. I don't think it'll be this crazy. Colin is right. We will have a president sworn in um, on January 20th. There, there are different provisions, though, that could come into play. If the Electoral College, for example, is deadlocked in December when it has to meet, or if it's unclear, um, you know, the 12th Amendment of the Constitution says it's up to the House of Representatives to decide who the president is. So we will have a president. Uh, it'll either be Trump or Biden, and we will know by January 20th. But it could be pins and needles between now and then. I don't think it'll take us that long. I think we'll know in the next week or two. Okay. Uh, but we'll see. It comes down to Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, maybe Michigan. Uh, Colin, a lot of Canadians would say, look, if Joe Biden wins, the relationship between Canada and the U.S. has got to get better. Uh, how safe is that assumption? Well, as always, we'll look for, there's a lot in the Biden plan that would, that would uh, work well with what Mr. Trudeau's got in mind. Clean energy, social justice, uh, corporate tax reform, that kind of thing. And so our objective will be to look for those areas where we can actually work with where, whoever the new administration is. Both administrations have talked about a major infrastructure program. Build Back Better puts it. He's got in it something called Buy America. What we're going to have to do is pay them as we did in the last big build project to, to make it buy North American or at least have a reciprocity procurement agreement between states and provinces. That puts some of the burden not just on the prime minister and ministers, but on premiers working with their governors. Mm -hmm. And that will apply regardless. Legislators talking to legislators, premiers and governors. It's got to be an all-Canada effort, like we've seen over the last three years in the renegotiation of the new NAFTA. Uh, Scotty, Scotty, let me ask you. So uh, is the question that simple? Who's better for Canada, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Is that an easy question to answer? Well... You know, Donald Trump hasn't been great for foreign relations with any of our partners. He likes to kind of poke our allies and embrace our adversaries, right? That's sort of his, and, and he does it for a reason. He's trying to keep people um, off base and he thinks he has better negotiating posture. So that hasn't set well in Canada. So uh, I think I, I think it'll be a different, less chaotic, more predictable, more kind of return to regular order uh, kind, of, kind of approach with Joe Biden. And that'll be a relief. 
Um, but but regardless, Canada obviously will work with whoever is elected. Canada has done a, a phenomenally good job in, in working with the Trump administration over the last four years. It's been remarkable, actually, to see, to contrast, um, you know, how well Canada has done, whether it's the negotiation of the trade agreement or minimizing the tariffs, such as they are, uh, than, than several of our other allies. So, um, but, but I do think there will be a sigh of relief, if, if not a, for a partisan reason, but just a return to regular order. I think that's uh, something that will make life a little bit easier in, in the bilateral relationship. Is the new NAFTA safe under a Joe Biden administration? Uh, some of the things he's been saying about trade uh, make you wonder. Uh, Colin, are we going to be back to renegotiating a trade deal if Joe Biden wins? I think there are still bits of this, of the new agreement that are going to require some teething pains. But don't forget, we had uh, a, a majority of Democrats under Nancy Pelosi in the House vote for this agreement. There are provisions in this agreement that wouldn't be there if the Democrats in the House had not voted for it, particularly as it relates to labor and the environment. These were provisions that Canada had sought, but the Trump administration is no to. But in order to get it through Congress, they had to to go along with what the Democrats, who had the majority in the House. So I think we're, you know, we're never safe. We always, but the fact that we had a strong number of Democrats back this, I think that works to our advantage. Okay, I mean, Canada's always, I mean, everybody, uh, Scotty, makes a lot of the relationship between the president and the prime minister, and that's clearly been uh, strained the last four years. Um, but, you know, Canada's become pretty good at, uh, and I think you both touched on it, sort of, working behind the scenes. If you don't have a great relationship with the president, maybe it's not even that great with some of the members of Congress. Uh, you, you, you go to the state level, you go to the business level. Uh, should, no matter who wins, do we expect to see uh, that process continue with Canadians looking to people outside uh, of federal circles, outside the White House, to try and move along uh, an agenda that, that satisfies both countries? I think I think so. I mean, the the playbook that was really refined during the NAFTA renegotiation is one um, that works well and should continue. And that involved engaging people, as you say, outside the Beltway, uh, engaging governors and mayors and groups like like ours, the Canadian American Business Council. We're, we're working on something now, Peter, um, that we call the North American Rebound. And the idea is um, to create a community of people that agree that coming out of the pandemic and into the economic rebound, we're in it together. So the U.S. and Canada shouldn't compete against each other. We should work together and compete against the world. And so I think you'll see initiatives like that that the, um, the governments will lean into as well. Go ahead, Colin. Yeah, Peter, we need a points of contact. So just as we've done over the last three years, working governors, premiers, state and provincial legislators cabinet ministers going down to Ottawa and seeing not just their cabinet counterparts, but going up to Capitol Hill, the prime minister doing the same thing and seeing leadership on Capitol Hill. I think that's changed how we do business and it's changed it as it has to be because we have such deep interest in the United States. Yes, we're trying to diversify our trade, which is exactly what we should do. But still the easiest place for Canadians to do business is the United States. Studies show you new exporters who we're trying to encourage to 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 get into them, the best we get involved in is the United States. So we got to be on the United States all the time. We have to know them better than we know any other country. All right, Scotty Greenwood, uh, Colin Robertson, thank you both for your time and uh, enjoy the uh, the process tonight. Uh, a lot of people, in, obviously, in the United States watching, but a lot <laughs> of Canadians will be watching too, and there's a lot to watch for. Thank you both for your time. Thanks, Peter. Good to see you. Good to see you, my friend, Colin. Thanks, Peter.
Thanks, Scotty. And a reminder that coverage of the U.S. election results will begin on CPAC at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So in less than an hour from now, we'll be joining our colleagues at C-SPAN in Washington for coverage of the presidential race as well as key congressional races across the United States. Ontario has reported another record number of daily COVID-19 cases, 1,050 new cases along with 14 more deaths. The province of Quebec reporting 871 new cases, 34 additional deaths. And in Manitoba, a hotspot this week, a dramatic drop in new cases, 103 reported there today along with five additional deaths. Now, even with the high case counts in Ontario, the Premier announced today a new set of criteria for imposing or lifting restrictions in different regions, which could see indoor dining return to some hotspot parts of Ontario as early as this weekend. We're trying to have this happy balance, and it's, it's extremely hard, but we have to make sure health is a priority, bar none over anything. Health and science comes first. Right behind it is the economy to keep people's livelihoods moving, moving forward and helping them any way we can. In Ottawa today, members of Parliament debated a Conservative motion calling on the government to do more to help small business and their workers, including a pause of audits on small businesses that receive the emergency wage subsidy. And just yesterday, the government introduced a bill to deliver long-awaited measures to provide direct rent subsidies to commercial tenants and extend the emergency wage subsidy to next June. So let's talk about this with three members of Parliament to debate the federal COVID-19 response. Adam Vancouverden is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Diversity and Inclusion. Pat Kelly He's the small business critic for the official opposition Conservatives and the sponsor of the Conservative motion debated in the House today. And Gord Johns is the small business critic for the NDP. Uh, thanks for being here, gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Vancouver, and small business, been waiting a long time for these measures. Uh, now the government would like to see them fast-tracked through the House. There's a big push on now, but why has it taken so long to come up with a new rent subsidy program when the government's promised it for months and knew the old program was flawed? Well, the, the supports that we've been providing uh, businesses for the last nine months have helped immeasurably, but it's not to suggest that businesses haven't been struggling over the past, well, since March, really. It's been an extremely difficult time, and I've been in touch with businesses here in my riding of Milton uh, over that period, and we fully recognize that more must be done. Um, just in the last uh, week alone, over 4,000 new SEBA applications have been approved. That brings the number up to over three-quarters of a million small businesses being supported through SEBA. So it's not to suggest that we haven't been doing uh, anything over the intervening period. Uh, the KECRA, you know, as it has been stated a number of times in the House by other members, wasn't accessible enough. So we want to get it right this time so that uh, the businesses can access okay. it and certainly extending the, the queues for uh, for the next year. Mr. Uh, Mr. Ke sure. Mr. Kelly, your motion today calls for more flexibility in the support programs for businesses in this country and their workers. What kind of, uh, you've seen what the government's now proposing, what more flexibility do you think is needed? Well, I think this has been the problem uh, from the start with uh, with a number of the programs that, that they just simply uh, many small businesses are left out. Uh, the government has acknowledged the problems that it, that it had with its rent subsidy program. But uh, here we are on um, on November 3rd and the precise details are still not are not known. Um, it's not known when small business uh, owners will be able to apply for this new rent assistance program. And meanwhile, uh, rent ha has been due. And, and to your, your original question, uh, Peter, um, you know, this government did have a, a lot of time to try to get this right. 
Uh, they prorogued the House in, in July, or sorry, in August, and um, there's really no reason why they, they couldn't have taken the time over the summer to draft legislation and be ready to go in September okay. instead I mean, of uh, now here in November 3rd. In terms of the delivery, part of that will, will depend on how quickly it gets through the House. It's legislation, so are you prepared to fast-track it, your party? Well, we haven't even had a caucus meeting since it was tabled, and uh, we're go we have responsibilities to, uh, to to examine the legislation to make sure that the government does get it right. Um, if there are um, significant problems with an issue, I'd rather head head it off uh, quickly and and get it right now. But but right. certainly the opposition has no appetite for for undue delay. We we know that small businesses are looking for uh, for support okay. and and many need support. Okay, Mr. Johns, uh, let me hear you on what the government's now. You've been pushing the government as well to uh, deliver supports for small business. Uh, we see those supports now in the legislation. So tell me if you like what you see now and whether you're prepared to fast track this. Let's let's look at the clock here. Everybody wants help to roll to small business after this week. There's an off week of the House, a constituency week of the House of Commons. So if, if it doesn't, for instance, get fast-tracked this week, it's not going to get done next week. So we're looking at several more weeks for businesses before they get the help they want. Well, we've been asking for months for the government to table legislation to support small businesses, uh, to extend the wage subsidy, to fix the broken secret program and expand SEBA. So we're glad to see the government come forward. But, uh, you know, the delays from proroguing Parliament, even the threat that they would go to election before supporting small business shows how disconnected they are about the needs of small business and the urgency of the situation they're in right now. So we need the government not only to table move forward with this legislation quickly, but they need to also backtrack the secret program so that those that weren't able to apply from their flawed design landlord driven program so that tenants can get the help they need that were ineligible because those tenants are riddled okay. in debt. They're, they're, they're waiting for help. Okay, let me put that to Mr. Vancouver, and that is the big complaint from small business, uh, Mr. Vancouver, is the new government measures are not retroactive beyond October, even though, uh, as Mr. Johns has pointed out, lots of commercial tenants couldn't get any help because their landlords didn't join the previous program, so they've accumulated lots of debt. The government acknowledges that, as I said earlier, the program is flawed, so why not make these new subsidies retroactive and further back than the month of October? Well, it's a reasonable recommendation and something that I think we should be uh, discussing in the House. Um, but unfortunately, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about other things in the House which aren't uh, pertinent to, uh, you know, to, to small and medium-sized businesses. I know that in talking to small businesses from uh, my riding... That but, are, but in fairness, you know, the, legis the legislation on this just is, was just put before the House yesterday. So, uh, and that's when we, we know there's no retroactivity in it. So... I'm not sure how we could have that conversation earlier than yesterday. I understand, but as, as Mr. Johns and others know, the, the previous iteration of the KECRA program was in partnerships with provinces, and uh, with that changing, it's, uh, it's important that the program, you know, be made to fit more, uh, more small businesses and the needs of small businesses. And we've been listening to the, to, you know, the recommendations from small businesses and various groups across the country to make a program that's more accessible and works for everybody because we recognize uh, that medium and small businesses are the backbone of the economy and we're truly not going to build back better until they're back in good form. So is your government open to the possibility of a longer retroactivity period? Uh, I certainly, I would be interested in having that discussion and the first thing that needs to happen is it needs to be discussed in the House so that proper debate can occur and, uh, and if amendments are necessary then 
we would look at those, I suppose. Okay, Mr. Kelly, your motion uh, today in the House calls for a, a pause in the audits of small businesses who receive the wage subsidy. People who received the CERB are right now being audited. Uh, in fact, months ago, your party was calling for the government to crack down on uh, potential fraud claims for, for the CERB. So why shouldn't businesses that receive the wage subsidy be audited as well? Well, we are not opposed to to audits. We are opposed to the timing. Uh, the The government has delayed the introduction of much needed support uh, measures. Um, the, the parliamentary secretary was, uh, I think, beginning to lament that we, that we hadn't been talking about this or talking about other things in the House. Yet his government controls the legislative agenda and could have tabled these bills months ago. So for small businesses to uh, suddenly have uh, onerous requirements for audit when the new measure when these businesses don't even know what the details of the new programs are going to be and, and whether they're going to survive just doesn't doesn't seem uh, uh, like the right way to go. They they could put this off until um, after the next coming tax season. So uh, we we were certainly pro compliance and all Canadians should be uh, compliant with the law. But uh, it's a question of resources okay. and timing that uh, they're they're putting resources in. Into, into auditing instead of uh, getting new supports Mr. out or extensions out. To Mr. Mr. Johns, where, 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 where's the NDP on that? Whether we could put off audits uh, of these small businesses to take one other burden off them while they try to get through this? Well, I think it's the right decision. I mean, but like you just said, I mean, the Conservatives on one hand are saying that they want to audit people who've collected CERB, but they don't want to audit small business owners. We think it's the right thing to do to wait. I mean, I think it's pretty rich for the Conservatives on when it comes to small business relief. We saw what they did in 2008. I mean, of course, this is a much larger scale, but they they, they left small business hanging. They, they bailed out large corporations and the big banks, and they need to pay their share, and they still haven't paid their fair share. Uh, I mean, let's face it. They, they talk about how they reduced red tape and reduced taxes for small business. Well, they reduced taxes by 1% in 10 years under Stephen Harper for small business, but for Canada's largest corporations, it was 6%. Uh, I mean, right now, we need to get help to people immediately. Okay. We need the Conservatives to get on board on our ask for the government to make the commercial rent program retroactive. And we need both parties to stop forcing and putting pressure on the Canadian electorate that they, we, right. they might have to go to the polls before they get the help they need. But it's clear, it sounds like it's clear none of, none of this gets out the door, for instance, this week. I, I don't sense an appetite in the House to uh, fast track this through all legislative stages and get the money out the door, correct? I, I think we want to move forward. We want them to stop playing games. And uh, both big parties in okay. terms of, you know, uh, looking, pointing and seeing who's going to force an election uh, over motions in the House of Commons when people are looking at facing their clothes or, or going into bankruptcy. Okay, well, I mean, I, the government's I, admitted their program's flawed. Got, Why don't they fix it? We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to leave it at that. Lots of debate uh, on CPAC today about this. And uh, so help is coming for small business. The, the question mark is still exactly when. Uh, but thank you all, gentlemen, for your time tonight. I do appreciate it. And I uh, hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Well, the federal government introduced amendments to the Broadcasting Act today aimed at forcing uh, foreign content providers to contribute as much as $830 million a year toward the production of Canadian content by 2023. 
The amendments would give the CRTC the power to regulate streaming services such as Netflix, Facebook, Google and Disney if they fail to make financial contributions to Canadian content in film, television and music. They would face financial penalties. Streaming services would also be forced to make it easier to find their Canadian content. So the federal government has promised to level the playing field in broadcasting in this country. Will this do it? Stephen Gilbo is Canada's Minister of Heritage. He tabled the new measures today. He joins me now. Minister Gilbo, uh, good to see you again. How do these measures proposed today level the playing field in terms of obligations between streaming services and traditional broadcasters? Well, I mean, basically, that's exactly what, what you're saying. What we're doing with this bill is that we, we're ensuring that there is a level playing field between between traditional broadcasters, Canadian broadcasters, and online services, which aren't right now subject to any regulations in, in Canada. So what, we, what, what we're doing with this bill is giving the CRTC, the regulatory body for, for, for broadcasting in, in Canada, the, the, record, the necessary tools to, to make sure that online streamers invest in, in, in Canadian stories, in Canadian artists, in, in Canadian culture, just like traditional broadcasters do. Okay, why do you need to go through the CRTC? Why isn't there just a bill today in the House of Commons that forces the web giants to pay more tax, for instance, to support Canadian content? You could have done that. Well, actually, if you look at how it's being done around the world, this is really not... I mean, the issue of taxation is an, is an important one, and I'm not, not disputing that. What, but if you look at what, how how Europe is doing it, and France, and in the Scandinavian countries, um, basically broadcasting is a complex sector, um, and and countries legislators put in place those bills, and then they ask their regulators to develop the methodology in terms of how it's going to be implemented. Uh, we do the same things with uh, with energy, for example. The government says, okay, well, this is what we want to do. This is what our goal in terms of energy development, and then we ask the energy board or federally or provincially in terms of the implementation of, of those legislative objectives. So this is not unique to Canada. Uh, this is how it's done, really. Okay. The, these measures, you say, will result in uh, these streaming giants investing uh, more than $800 million a year in mm -hmm. Canadian content uh, within the next three years. How will you force them to do that? Well, just like any other international company uh, operating in Canada that they have to to abide by by our, our rules and regulations, our our laws, and uh, and if they don't, then uh, we will. One of the things we're doing through this bill is giving the CRTC the ability to impose penalties um, and substantial ones. So, if you're an online streamer, would you pay a, a penalty that, that that's much higher than than what you would you would invest otherwise? I, I, well, I, I guess so. I guess that's the big question, right? How hefty will those fines be? I mean, we've we've got well, a bit of it. Okay, we could talk millions of dollars. Okay, but when tech giants have been caught violating laws in Canada, they, they typically get hit with fines that don't amount to a deterrent. Facebook settled privacy charges in Canada earlier this year by paying a fine of $9.5 million. Facebook earned $6 billion in Canada in 2018 and 2019. Um, so, well, you're right. I mean, the, the penalties have to be... Have to force compliance if, if, if need be. I mean, we're hoping it, it, it won't get to that, but it, it's a formula that has been used in, in other countries. If you look at the, or, or the European Union, for example, a number of, of European Union countries have gone down, down that route since 2018. Um, so it, it, it's a proven formula. 
Okay, let's finish on this. You've also been called upon to make uh, the online companies such as Google pay mm -hmm. journalism creators for linking to their sites when they show up in searches. Is that the kind of regulation that we're going to get? Is that coming or not? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, what the exact mechanism would be uh, is one thing we're working on right now. But in the last few weeks, I, I was on, on the phone or video conferencing with um, my counterpart in Australia, in France. Uh, last week, I was speaking to the, uh, the, the, the president of the Australian regulator that, that's about to do that. They're not doing it yet, but they're in the process of doing it. And we are re really looking. These are the two existing models. So Canada is actually at the forefront of this. In, in the world, but beyond France and Australia, no one is, is doing it yet. Uh, so we're part of this first group of countries that want to tackle this issue. And what we're doing right now is looking at these two examples, what makes sense in Canada in light of our institutions, uh, of our laws and regulations, but we want to do, we want to move on this quickly. All right. So more to come. Uh, Heritage Minister uh, Stephen Gilbo, thanks so much for your time tonight. Good to speak with you. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC. And a reminder, coming up, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, U.S. election coverage with our colleagues at C-SPAN in Washington. Thanks for watching.